Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Alley, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company, in collaboration with Alley, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Alley, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. And now, on to my interview with Matt Skills. When I set my sights to something... I, I just have blinders on, you know what I'm saying? And it's not because I, I don't I don't have the emotion or the, 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 the spirit to love or to to be. I just I I have to get this done. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they move, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the 50th episode of the Silent Giants podcast. A podcast that highlights superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. This week's Silent Giant is Grammy-nominated rapper, songwriter, and Virginia legend, Mad Skills. Skills is largely credited for being the first artist to put Virginia hip-hop on the map, but built an illustrious career as a ghostwriter for some of the biggest rap acts of all time. Currently, Skills holds a teaching position at the University of Richmond at the School of Professional and Continuing Studies. In this interview, I connect with Matt Skills in our hometown of Richmond, Virginia, to chat about his early life, how he broke into the music industry with Missy Elliott and Timberland, connecting with DJ Clark Kent, his first record deal with Atlantic back in the 90s, his career as a ghostwriter, he chatted about his new EP, I'm the DJ and the Rapper, and a whole lot more. So, without further ado, on our 50th episode of the podcast, let me introduce you to the rapper, songwriter, DJ, educator, my friend, the silent giant, Mad Skills. Skills, what up, man? What's up, bro? How are you? Oh, man, I'm awesome. Life is good. It, it's really crazy. Not, this is the first time meeting you, being right. that we're both born and raised Richmond. Yes. I call it the Bougie Black well, Network. I wasn't born here, but I've been here forever. Well, when did you move I've here? I've been here since like 87. Okay, okay, okay. I was okay. born in Detroit, but I don't even remember being in Detroit. Because when, at what age, like, how old were you when you moved here? I was like 15, maybe 14. Oh, you were like in your formative years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was definitely a teenager when I got to Richmond, for where, sure. Where'd you go to high school? Uh, John F. Kennedy. Oh, get out. So you were yeah. just like school proper in the yeah, city. Yeah, right off of uh, Mechanicsville. A nine mile road. Yeah, yeah, cool, yeah, cool yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What's crazy, I call it the bougie black network because everyone in Richmond <laughs> is black knows each other in some way. Right, yeah. So it, in some way you're constantly connected. Like, right. you know, my sister Chelsea. Yes. My cousin Bruce. Yes. But like, I didn't know 
You personally. Right. Right. But we had six degrees of separation. Yes. The Bougie Black Network. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) How's the day going for you? Oh, man. You know, it's it's, uh, it's Labor Day. Um, But uh, slow day. Yes, but I'm, as it should be. Yeah, we got a gig tonight, so uh, I'm getting trying to get ready for that. And uh, I had one last night, so I'm kind of sluggish, but I'll be all right. How, how do you get prepped uh, for your show? You know, you kind of just uh, just got to go into it and just wish for the best. Sometimes, you know, because being being you know being on stage and being the person that you know had you you have to ensure that other people are having a good time. Nobody asks you how you're feeling, right? You know what I mean. So it's like. You know, if I if I got into it with somebody or had an uh, argument or something, I still got to get on stage and say, throw your hands in the air. And, you know, all my party people like, and I might not even be in the mood for that, but <laughs> that's the job. Exactly. I mean? That's the job. So, and, and I don't have a day job, so I won't complain about it. Well, you know what it is? I always say that no matter what, you should always be in the service industry. Yeah. And we're in the service industry of, of entertaining people, whether it's podcasting, yeah. whether it's, it's being on stage, making music, yeah. entertaining. We're all yeah, man, we are. We definitely are. Uh, so, how would you describe Richmond as a as a city? Um, very, you know, a melting pot, man. Um, of uh, a definitely a, a southern kind of southern, but northern because we're right on the border in between North Carolina and the DC. So, you know, it's definitely a, um, you you run into all kind of people here, and you have so many colleges that you know you end up with a lot of people that aren't from here that might come here and then like it and then end up staying or people who went to school here and then go back or start businesses here. But um, it's definitely a melting pot of, of people and culture, you know what I mean? So, um, and it was, it's never, I, I never looked at it as a slow paced place. It's not like, I think when I would tell people a lot of times, Oh yeah, you know, I'm in Richmond, Virginia. They would think like country and they was thinking like right. dirt roads or like Charles city or something. And I'm like, yeah, nah, it's a city. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it definitely has its city elements. So yeah, the culture of it is, um, it's a beautiful place, man. I love it. You know, what I mean? it, it definitely to me, uh, um, Virginia is kind of a really interesting state. There's, there's about three or four cultures right within the same state. Yes. Because if you're if you're in D.C., it's very government. Mm-hmm. But if you're Tidewater, it's very chill beach. Right. Right. Beach town. Then you get to Richmond, and then Richmond's maybe kind of the most true city, city, yeah. city. Right. Proper, yeah, uh, in Virginia. Proper city. Then you get west of that, you have like the mountains, right? But yeah. If go, but if you go south of Richmond and you go west of Charlottesville, you get country. Yes. Like once you get past those mountains, like yeah. the Appalachians, a Blue Ridge. Yeah. Wow. I never really looked at it like that, but um, yeah, we're surrounded by a whole lot of different things. Yeah. So you it, can go in any different direction for an hour and a half, and you be it'll be a totally different landscape, totally different vibe. Yeah. Uh, how is Richmond uh kind of shaped? Your personality or your musical style, or I would say that uh, as far as this, it, it shaped me knowing that I couldn't, you know, it was so many other things being done. I knew what I wanted to bring to the game, and I knew what I couldn't do as far as what other states had already established. So, you know, I I couldn't make you know music and use Go Go as my base and act like they was new because Go Go wasn't new. Somebody already had that. Um, I couldn't do like Baltimore Club. Because somebody already had that. So we couldn't do G-Funk because the West Coast already had that. So I think musically it, it inspired me to just be myself and hope that, you know, whatever I, I um, offer to the world, they would accept. You know what I mean? And I, I did have, I was heavily East Coast influenced. I listened to a lot of East Coast rappers coming up because that's when it started. That's all it was, was Run DMC and 
Fat Boys and Big Daddy Kane and Rakim. So they were all from one place. So um, I definitely had an East Coast sound as far as beats and, uh, you know, aggression. Right. Um, because I thought I got to do what they doing. But I'd still put my own spin on it. And um, Richmond helped me to to develop that and, and not be ashamed of where I was from. Even though nobody else had come from where I was from. Nobody had made it. Right. Well, one thing I always talk about on the show, um, two questions I typically ask are, what do your parents do? Mm-hmm. And then uh, where are you from? Well, I clearly know where you're from. Right. Um, but the reason why those questions are so important, because typically people who do great things, we have to see like, you know, Michael Jackson as from someone who's like in isolation. Right. right? He's like, oh, Michael made it. And he's just right. a unicorn. Um, but he was in an incubator right. situation where, you know, he's probably, I don't know what, where he ranked, probably the seventh child or sixth right. child. So he had o- other brothers who performed. He also right. had a father who was in a band right. beforehand. So Ooh. he um so he was able to be uh to to groom his skills. Right. To At become, a very young age. Yes. Uh how did you uh groom your skills? Like how how did that happen for you? Um just from listening and, and paying attention, like I said, the first time that I heard uh hip hop, you know, it might have been a run DMC or or uh the fat boys or something like that. Um I would say 84, 85. Um, and it definitely spelled, it definitely felt like it was speaking to me directly. Um, it, I, I, I never knew what Run DMC looked like at first. I just, I just heard them. I think it might have been hard times or something like that. Maybe Sucker MCs. But every record was, you know, it was the guy that had the lighter voice and he, he was kind of upbeat and it was the guy that had the, the kind of laid back voice, but he was still aggressive. So that was DMC and Run was the other voice. So when I saw them, I think the first time I saw them might have been on this TV show called like Graffiti Rock or something. Or maybe, maybe they were on Soul Train or something. And I, I remember seeing him and I was like, yo, like I Run looks like me. Like I look like I could be that He's skinny, sideburns. You know what I mean? Nappy hair, but not not nappy, <laughs> but still, you know what I mean? And I was like, man, like skinny, lanky. And I had all those qualities. And all he was doing was putting words over beats. And they were just happening to rhyme. So, you know, I started paying attention to um, hip hop after that. And I followed them religiously. I actually met them when I was like 13 years old in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I actually have a picture with them when I was like 13. Um and uh, yeah, from that point on, I was I was I was done. I was totally immersed in the whole culture. Every everything in, involved in hip hop, I did graffiti, which I sucked at, <laughs> DJing, uh, which I sucked at early on in my life. But I'm definitely way better now than I was then. But the first uh, break dancing I did, I got a cool response from it. But rapping was the first thing I did that I actually got a response where it was like, oh. And I was like, this must be it then. And what, what age was this? Oh, man, I might have been, oh, man, I might have been like 13. You know what I mean? And I wrote a song called Maybe, Maybe Not because I didn't have no instruments. And it was about talking to these girls. It was about talking to some girls. And uh, do, you remember, do you remember it? I, I remember the hook because you could beatbox the hook and say the words at the same time, kind of like... Uh, Dougie Fresh or, yeah. or, or uh, Buffy from the Fat Boys used to do. So I can't remember the raps, but I would get to, so I would say the rap acapella. And then when I would get to the hook, I, it was so basic. I would get to the hook and, and the hook was uh, maybe, uh, maybe not. Maybe, uh, maybe not. Because you could still say <laughs> yeah, that and still yeah. do the beat. 
So it was super simple, but um, that was the hook of the song, and it was about, you know, at every turn, at the end of every verse, I would uh get to whether this girl would go out with me or not, and her thing was maybe, maybe not. And then the third verse, I kind of got fresh, and I got my, I was the nerd at first. I got fresh, I got cool, and then she asked me, and the spin of events was I hit her back with the same hook, the maybe, maybe <laughs> not hook. So that was my first foray into um into uh writing an actual song and having it have structure and you know and points and things like that so um yeah for sure that was that was around the first time one thing uh you know we both come from richmond right how did you manage to to break into the music industry being from where you're from um well being from richmond uh it was hard and uh i want to say once d'angelo came out and I remember being in talent shows with D'Angelo. His name was Mike. He had a band called Michael Archer and Precise. His name was Michael Archer. So um, he had a band and he was singing guy covers. I like groove me. You know, Trent, Brian Trent. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. my guy. Yeah. So um, D'Angelo made it. You know what I mean? So, you know, we look up and I see, I see, uh, I saw Brown Sugar. And um, before that, let me backtrack a little bit. It was another group that came out of here that had signed to Eric. They, I don't think they were from Richmond, but they definitely had ties in Richmond and they were called shades of lingo. And they were signed to like Eric sermon. Okay. And I think they had a, they definitely had a video out. They had a cool song. And then, uh, it was some other kids from here that were called down South. Okay. We had the boogie monsters too. Um, they were Virginia state. Um, but I think they got signed to the same label that Diggable Planets was on. And I think it, it their project didn't come out for a while. I think it might have been like two years. I didn't understand that process. But um, I did understand it after I got a record deal. But So Down South comes out, and they're on Big Beat Atlantic, and they had a song called Southern Comfort. And I remember the video. And the video, and they were like, you know, everybody was like, yo, you seen these guys from Richmond? They, they got on, they rapping. Like one of them make beats, da, da, da. so it was three dudes. It was two two light skinned dudes and one dark skinned dude, and I know I know who they are now. I'm just saying this is just what I knew then. Um, and I remember I was watching Rap City one day, and they was like, "Oh, you know, we got a brand new group, you know, da 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 down south." And I saw their video, and I was with some of my homeboys. We were in, I think it was over off of Brooklyn Park Boulevard. We was definitely in Northside, and we saw their video, and the video was all like cornfields and like grass and dirt roads on something like Bubba Sparks type but it wasn't even that cool as Bubba Sparks okay. it was definitely like it didn't show no city elements of it at all now don't get me wrong their song made sense with that they were talking about when I go back home this is what home is like to me this was their what it was like for them so they you know they talk about their grandmothers and you know when I go back to grandma's house you know, this is what I get and this is what she cooks and it's that good old Southern comfort. But we hated the video because we was like, Richmond don't look like that. Right. Dang, they can't be from Richmond. <laughs> like why? And you know how sometimes you get a record deal and you do whatever they tell you to do and you shoot whatever they tell you. To shoot. I, don't, I don't know their story, but I know by the time it got to my eyes, I saw it and I was like, that's not Richmond. That's not, that's not, yeah, it, it's parts that could look like that, but damn, that's what they chose to go with. So I was mad. I, I was livid. So the 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 aggression of mad skills and the the 
the the frustration of mad skills when I first came out from screaming Virginia, Virginia, Virginia. And this is what we got. We got cats down here to spit bars. We got producers. We got, you know what I'm saying, MCs. Like, we wear Tims. We wear hoodies. Like, yo, we be on the corner. It's like, we got corners. Like, all of that came from looking at that down south video and i don't I, and i know one of the guys uh sean j period an amazing producer i just got back in contact with him within the last couple of couple of years and he ended up doing three or four tracks on my first album mm. um amazing producer so i don't even think he knows this story but that initial frustration came from me seeing their video and i felt like they weren't representing Richmond in the same way that I wanted to. I wanted people to see a, a big a bigger part of Richmond and and Virginia as a whole. Um and I couldn't put it on D'Angelo's shoulders. I think D'Angelo came out, he's an R and B singer. Right. Like fuck y'all want him to do. Like when I was like, oh man, he'll never say shit about Richmond. You know? And I'm like, what the fuck you want him to do? He's an R and B singer. What are you supposed to make a song called Cruising in Richmond? <laughs> like what the fuck? Yeah, he's an R and B singer, bro. R. Kelly don't have a song called Chicago. Right. He yeah, don't have yeah, a song yeah. called Bump and Grind in Chicago. Fuck y'all mean. It's up to <laughs> us. The we the rappers. We say that shit. We shout our cities out and our hoods and you know, our cliques and our squads. Like, so when they didn't do that, I felt compelled that I had to. And, and um yeah, but how did you make that industry move? Like what was that first shit? It was uh yeah, then I got totally got off track of that question, but no, it was I, um, I loved it. <laughs> it uh, no, what happened was I I, st- I saw D'Angelo. I was going to these seminars. I would get off work. I worked at the VCU parking deck. Um, I would get off of work and I would send in my demos to you know these these uh, labels. Was it like looking at the back of the CD and then mailing it? Well, I, well, I had a friend that worked in radio. Mike Street worked in radio, and he used to get you know free records all the time he worked at a college radio station we would go up there um and we would you know we knew we knew people would come down they'd be like oh you know i'm traveling with wu-tang clan i'm the i'm the a&r for loud we'd be like oh okay cool and my thing was when i ran into cats i would never tell them i would never say to them like yo can i get on can you look out for me i would just say yo what's up man my name mad skills and y'all gonna hear about me one day like that was it i ain't want no picture i ain't want nothing and um so I, I would send off the tapes. Nothing happened. I was going to these conventions, bumping elbows with all of these people. I was going to Jack the Rapper. I was going to How Can I Be Down. Uh, I was going to the Gavin. Um, and I'm flying at this point. Some of my first flights had taken place at this point. And I sent a tape. I used to get the Source magazine. It was a battle for world supremacy uh mc battle and i sent a one minute acapella tape to the address uh somebody hit me back it was a girl i think her name was chris christy chris Kristen. i think she hit me back and um she said you made it and it was it was clark kent's battle for world supremacy he used to do a thing called superman inc uh, and they did a new music seminar every year they did it battle for world supremacy and uh i entered it I came in second, but everybody I had sent a tape to was in that room watching me. Okay. So this shit was, and I just uploaded it to like YouTube maybe like a year ago, but it's a battle between me and a guy named Supernatural. And very famous, very famous battle. It went down to the wire. Nobody, they couldn't decide. The judges were uh, Puffy, Tracy Waples, Sheena Lester. 
uh, my man Todd won. Um, everybody was in the room. A- Africa Bambada was there. Dame Dash was there. Uh, that, whoever the CEO of Loud Records, Steve Rifkin was there. This is um, in New York? Yes. Tommy Boy. Rec- everybody in that room I had sent a tape to. So they already knew about me. And then they're like, yo, I have his tape on my desk. That guy's a problem. So I lose. I'm pissed. In hindsight, I'm glad I lost. Um, I'm pissed. Sidebar, I come outside as I'm pissed. I'm getting ready to leave. And it's a young Jay-Z outside in the front of the Sheraton Manhattan Hotel roasting niggas. (laughs) Completely (laughs) roasting niggas. Clark Kent is with him. Dame is with him. Um, and I just put some footage of that on my uh, IG. Somebody found it. He is completely roasting niggas. I'm watching known rappers with platinum albums. List, like lean in for a second, listen to him, and like, yeah, I don't want no problems with him. Like, I'm the <laughs> fuck out. This is a young Jay Z. So I lose, and uh, Clark Kent hit me up and said, "Yo, I really want to fuck with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you dope. Like, if you come to New York, you know what I'm saying? I got a spot you could record. I'll send you some beats. So Clark Kent started sending me beats. I started recording some of his songs. And uh, then all of these A&Rs, they go back to the office Monday and listen to the tape. They listen to the tape. And then they start contacting me. And that's how the record deal happened. Because uh, Clark was uh, A&R at Atlantic at this yes. time? Yes. Yeah. I don't think he was at this time. He was busy trying to get Jay-Z a deal. Okay. And nobody was signed jay-z um they didn't get it um but uh clock was an amazing producer he had a studio and it's funny because some of the some of the best jay-z songs i've ever heard in my life i heard at clark kent's house and i still haven't heard them to this day wow i interviewed him uh last week right and we we talked about that and he was like yo like a lot of the records we just lost the dat yeah they were all on dats (laughs) yeah Like, I used to go to Clark's house, and you know me at this point, you know, I've already lost a major battle, so I'm really sharpening my sword. I'm I'm like, whoever wanted can get it. I don't give a fuck who it is. And I I was so cocky. I was so arrogant. And I used to tell Clark all the time, like, yo, whoever. Like, I don't care. He likes skills. I like you. You at my crib. I I, I think you're dope. You're going to make it. Chill, you know what? Don't this Jay's, don't this hove. I was like, yo, man, I know that's your man, but fuck that nigga. Like that he was like skills. He used to tell me this all the time. He said, Jay, he told me this in '93. He said, skills, Jay Z is a Jesus Christ of rap. Chill. Jeez. I said, yo, man, I don't. Your man is cool. He cool, but yo, trust me, bro. Bar for bar, I will, I will rock his. Where he was like skills. Like understand, it's almost like you sitting next to Magic Johnson. Cause Magic Johnson said, "Come to the crib. I like your jump shot. I'm, I'm gonna show you some shit." Like, and and you keep disrespecting Kareem. Like, don't do that. <laughs> right, 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 right. And that's when it made sense to me. Well, well, you know what though? I think that's also a, a big shift. Of what I had to learn coming from Richmond. I think this is for any person coming from a, a smaller market, a smaller town, and going into uh, a place like New York or L.A. or Atlanta right. or Nashville, that it's an industry. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of times you're uh, even how we're here today. Right. It's very not industry. Right. The, the way we would conduct each other, uh, see each other in L.A. or New York is totally, totally different, different yes. than how we would here in Virginia. Yes. Oh, you know, my sister, yo, you know, my cousin, right, let's right. make it happen. Exactly. Um, that's, it was a shift. I think that a lot of people coming from small towns, making music with your friends, yes. or people you grew up with, with folks that, uh, 
you don't know that well, mm-hmm. you have to politic a little bit more. Right. Like build relationships and cultivate network. Did you have that 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 kind of tug of war issue? Um, once I got in the door, man, it was just about being able to help the people that I wanted to help. Um, you know, I I was more so set on, you know, getting my crew on and making sure that what I wanted to accomplish, I did. And it was weird because when I look back at it, like I, I got exactly what I asked for. I should have asked to sell 50 million records or sell, I'll sell Thriller. That's what I should have asked for. But I was like, I remember somebody asking, it was like the album came out. I said, yo, what do you want to accomplish with this album? And I was like, yo, I want people to know my name and I want them to know where I'm from. And when I look back at from where, that's basically what I got. No critical sales, like nothing crazy came behind it, but it was a a, a starting point for Virginia artists to be able to say I'm from Virginia. And people would end up saying, oh, you oh, you from where Mad Skills from? So it was like, we used to have nobody. Right. And now we got somebody because I was screaming it so much. Um, but yeah, to get back to the question, it was just, I, I wanted people to know about where I was from. And that was a that was very important to me in 1993-94. You know what? We're going to take a quick break and next we're going to get into your career. Okay. Behind the scenes. Let's get it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com and we're back and we're back <laughs> and, and so uh one thing that i i you, you touched on is helping other people mm-hmm. um I know that I always say that I love rap, but rap is like a, it, 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 it's two different parts of me, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the part of me where what rap fulfills is like, I can shit on you. Right. Like I'm the man. Right. Like I got skill. Right. You know what I'm saying? But there's another part of my career as a songwriter here for the podcast where it's about assisting other people. Right. And where it's zero ego at all. Right. It's just about telling other people's story or helping get to where they want to be. Right. How did that, sh- that mental shift happen for you professionally? Um, well, I knew that, you know, some of these people that I was around were super talented and they deserved to be heard. And if I was the platform right now that could get their voices heard, then so be it. And I was going to do whatever it was. I was running with a, a crew of like 13 dudes. Like nine of us were like rappers. The rest were like DJs, producers. So if I'm if I'm the only person that's got the, the outlet right now, then... um. You know, so be it. So that's how you end up getting the super friends. And uh, Lonnie B was going around with me across the country. as like a hype man. Um, me and him were going to radio stations, terrorizing freestyle sessions. Because that was back in the day when when you went up to a DJ 
whoop de whoop Saturday night mix show. Like, we're going to interview you. We're going to play your song. But, yo, I'm about to throw this beat on. Like, I need to hear something. What y'all got? Mm. You know what I mean? So it was very important. And I kept people around me that on any given, on any given day could shit on me. And I and I like that because it kept me steel sharp and still it kept me sharp. So uh, I had a guy, um, one of my best friends at the time, Kalanji, um, probably one of my favorite MCs of all time. Like, like dude was ri- ridiculous, like ridiculous. Like, but he had a way of he rapped about things that we probably had no knowledge of. So he would also rap about it, but it would make it would make the listener feel like, damn, this dude is so much more smarter than me. And he would never say a word or say a a phrase and not explain it in the same bar. You know what I mean? So when he explained it, it was just like, damn, it's like, damn, I don't I don't even know what that is and I should. You know what I mean? You you automatically felt like he was superior. And he he rapped about a lot of cosmic stuff and, you know, things, but he also rapped about real life and real real um real like emotion, but when every time he got on the mic, it was an event. And then you had Lonnie B who had that deep baritone voice and those punchlines and he stung and he sounded so arrogant and cocky and he was so sure of himself and um then you had danger mouth who was a, a creative genius you know what i'm saying Peace. um with with just the just the the ideas and 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 so it's like where he lacked that in in aggressive punchlines and you know kind of like that big l real you know uh stab punchlines his 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 ideas and 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 what he could do with words was amazing. So I had these guys around me every day. And it was no way I could not be at my best. And if I was, if 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 I if I went to a radio station and my homeboy outshined me that day, that's how it was supposed to happen. At this time, you're pursuing a career as as frontal talent. Mm-hmm. Um, but when did you who pulled your coattail or when did you when the light bulb moment come off for you that you know, I can make a living behind the scenes with my writing. Oh, Missy. Missy Elliott. How did that that meeting happen and how did that conversation um, happen? Well, I met Missy through Tim and Magoo. So I want to say it was one day the the No Way Out tour was in Richmond. Okay. Uh, I had, Clark was DJing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That. I, got, I got dropped from... Big Beat Atlantic. Well, it was kind of mutual because I asked to be released because at this time, Junior Mafia was out. Biggie was out. Bad Boy was running. So Biggie having his own label, everybody was throwing money at Biggie. So Biggie decided to go with the same label I had. And all of the marketing dollars, all the attention, everything just shifted to Junior Mafia. So I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I want to be here. Like I could probably be better off somewhere else maybe go to loud records you know they're doing well with like woo alcoholics mob deep go anywhere but here but the 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 shift is happening because people are it's now champagne and and shiny suits <laughs> and shit you know what i mean like i don't know how long this this rap rap thing is gonna last so um uh i saw magoo me and magoo was talking and, and magoo was like what you doing now and i was like yo man i'm back in richmond i'm chilling you know, he was like, yo, you don't got no deal? And I was like, nah. Like, I, you know, I asked him to let me go or whatever. He's like, hold the fuck up. Like, yo, you got to meet Tim. I got to introduce you to Tim. So he was like, so Tim is there. Missy's there. He introduces me to Tim. Tim says, come to the studio tomorrow. I go to Master Sound, Virginia Beach. Me and Tim did like, 
first day I met him, we did like six songs, same day. So Missy, and had you heard of him? Yeah, I knew Timbaland. The Aaliyah stuff was out. Okay, Timbaland and Magoo was out. Uh, I want to say the uh, Missy was about to come out, maybe, but she was a songwriter. Okay. Um, I think uh, I want to say the Gina Thompson remix was out. The he 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 yeah. So that might have been out by then. And um, so Missy saw me working. Um, but you know I'm looking at the situation. I'm like, yo, I'm a rapper. Like, yo, I I thought this shit would be different. You know what I mean? Um, and then I come back to the studio. Maybe like three weeks later, I'm coming back and forth with Missy and Tim. And uh, one day, like, she pulled up in like a purple Lamborghini and shit. And I was like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> like, damn. They, they, do they have anything else besides the Aaliyah shit? I know the genuine shit was out. But uh, yeah, nah, she was caking. And I'm like, you know, then I started watching her. I would just sit in the room and just watch her and pay attention to her and Tim and how they created. And uh, that's when I started paying attention to songwriting and, and words. Because I've always been good with words. I can't sing, but... um. I, I know melody and I knew words and uh to watch Missy, you know, that was a uh that was a good person to learn from, you know. And I don't even think she knew I was learning. I think she was just working and I was just, I would just watch them and just see how they wrote and see how she came up with stuff and yeah, nah, I, that's when I started paying attention to songwriting. How how did your uh how did your reputation as a writer uh develop and, and continue oh, to grow? Yeah, man. Um after a while, I started getting little tricks of the trade, and uh, I started getting better production from people, and I started realizing that some of these songs that I write might not be for me. You know what I mean? I already had a name. Um, you know, I was known in the hip-hop community. I had been on BT, Rap City, what have you. I was in the Source magazine, Vibe magazine. So if you were following any of these hip-hop publications or shows, you knew me. Um, and I didn't realize that uh, writing songs could be profitable for you know people who didn't get you know their proper credit or whatever i didn't know about splits i didn't know about publishing i just knew i was helping and, and in this case i'm just happy for the opportunity so if tim don't feel like writing this verse today or his brother's not gonna write it or you know it's, it's an open 16 right here i'm gonna just put something there i don't know who's gonna say it don't maybe it's me maybe it's not but i'm a let's the the, the idea is to, the, to finish the song so um, I started paying attention to that. And um, like I said, man, um, then ghostwriting came into, into I guess, public knowledge because people were writing songs but not getting credit for them. But you might have been getting something else, um, money, uh, gifts. Uh, it was almost like a payola thing with like radio. Okay. But, um, and I didn't know. You know what I'm saying? I was I was happy to get paid for what I did. I still listen to songs that I wrote or I wrote verses on and I didn't get nothing for, but I never look, I looked at that as like training ground. Okay. You know I mean? now, now of course none of these songs are like 80 million so I didn't write I didn't write the second verse on Thriller, you know what I'm saying? But just little raps here and there on things that, you know, sold some copies but weren't massive huge hits. Um and uh cuz why why is it with um with other uh, forms of music right um with rock or pop that the writer is it's a it's okay if Mick Jagger doesn't write the song right um it's accepted why do you feel like in hip-hop that is a thing that because 
in hip hop, we always had the stigma that whoever we was listening to wrote what they said. And it's like, if they didn't write it, then who did? Because if somebody else wrote this, and this is this amazing, then he should be rapping too, or she should be rapping too. It's not the case, right? Because there's uh, some people who, you have a knack, obviously, for rapping. But for a lot of people, they may not have the um, the voice. Right. But they may have the words. Right. And what's your take on it? Do you think that it's okay? Do you think- I mean, at the end of the day, um, I think if, and I talked about this uh, on, a, on a prior interview on The Breakfast Club, um, I think if I found out that certain people didn't come up with certain things, it would probably, as, fan, as a fan, it would probably floor me. Like if if like if we if I found out that Rakim didn't write, I know you got soul. Yeah, that shit would probably hurt like, you. Like, hurt like, because like, I'm such a Rakim fan. If I found out that Big Daddy Kane didn't write, ain't no half stepping. It, it's a great song, but it's cheapening the value for it a little yes, bit. Yes, but I know these guys are amazing writers. So, um, you know, uh, I don't think it should matter because. It's just about sometimes it's about the delivery, you know what I mean. And I I I, can't, I pattern it to R and B songs sometimes, like you know. And I, I use this example all the time when Mary J. Blige sings "Not Gonna Cry." I don't sit there and go, "I wonder who wrote this." Mm. Like she delivered the fuck out of the song, right? You know what I mean. And sometimes it's about delivery as opposed to who wrote it. And and even now they've they made it hard to even find out who wrote the song. You know what I'm saying? You you got to dig to find out who wrote a song nowadays. Cause do you would you prefer the term um, uh, songwriter, yeah, over ghostwriter? Yes, because that's at the end of the day, we that's what we were doing. We were writing a song. We weren't writing a ghost, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we was writing a song every, and I think a lot of times when I'm in a room with people and you know we're working, it's like that is we're that's the common goal. We all want to have the best song possible and be involved in the best song possible. And sometimes you might not come up with that by yourself. I think it's also too. We're living in an era now where we're a little bit more. Um, kids don't really care. Yeah, no, they don't. They don't. <laughs> they don't really care the way that they did back in the nineties right. and early two thousands about who right. wrote the record uh, in hip hop. Do you think that um, that ghostwriters of that era should be celebrated in the songwriters hall of fame and receive more light for the contributions they made to the culture? Especially if their song is is you know, if it gets that far, you know what I mean, like um. But I guess sometimes hip hop songs don't make it as far as a, as a you know a, a U two record or a, you know I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of what song could be so big that I can't believe you didn't give that person credit for oh rappers delight rappers delight rappers delight yeah rappers delight should not ever be mentioned without the words Grandmaster Cass following it. Right. Because a big portion of that record was just taken out of a book that he had. You know what I mean? But you know what you know what I, I equate that to? I equate that to the fact that even in hip hop, we always forget about the motherfuckers who did it first. Hmm. Like we we tend to it's like if you're you're the first person, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yo, we're we're going on. Like You'll, you'll probably remember the fourth or the fifth person who did it, but you probably won't remember the first because they don't get, they invented it. They don't get as much credit as they should. Like like we, 
you know, shit, we get in the car every day. We don't fucking, when we hit the button, we don't see Henry T. Four's name pop up. <laughs> right, you know exactly, what I mean? Like exactly. when we get in the car, it's like we almost forgot about it. And, and I think in hip hop, we got to do better about that, man, because, you know. But do you think also, too, it's a matter of just the the uh, hip hop kind of growing up? Yeah. Like, like, like hip hop is now a middle aged yeah. uh, person. If it was yes. a person. Yes, it was middle aged. <laughs> and it's, you know, you can't. Just because you enjoyed it when you had it and it was special to you and you still can't be upset that it, it grew into something else. And and it's it's the youth, man. It's the youth and it's technology and it's their music. And whatever the whatever the kids are doing, the music is gonna reflect that. Yeah, because you know what, with with technology now, um, like how has that shifted the way you've done business in your professional career as a rapper and writer? Oh man, um, I don't solicit my my um, I might solicit my services as far as like DJing and things like that to uh to um to people, but I don't really go online and say, oh yeah, here's a song if somebody wants to buy it. I don't think the people that I'm looking to sell this 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 or wanting to hear this music is following me so i don't really see the point of that okay um i you know i can't just play a pop record and be like yeah you know anyone one of y'all want this i don't think demi lovato would hear that one minute snippet that i would post up of that song i would rather get it to her in another another manner um but um so i don't solicit songs in that way but i do keep people abreast of what i'm doing um and 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 where i'm gonna be what what material i have out uh what projects i have out um but yeah i haven't figured out a way to do that yet you know what i mean and i i think with with technology being as big as it is it should be a way that the people who are actually looking for songs and want to buy songs and see songs do well in the marketplace should be able to connect with the people who actually make them uh, who is a mentor you, you, going a little bit back in the conversation you mentioned that um there were uh, you didn't have a, a knowledge about splits and publishing. Uh, who was a person that kind of took you under um, their wing and was a mentor to you and taught you the business uh, of music? Um, business wise, uh, I would say my old A and R. Um, his name is Rob Tulo. Uh, we call him Reef. Um, he works at uh, I want to say he's at um, Apple Music now, um, but he was the A and R at Big Beat Atlantic back then. And um, you know, even whatever went down with the label. I never really uh, faulted him for it. We were always on the same side, like, and um, he he let me know a, a lot about royalties and mechanicals, and and uh, he he was like, you know, and my lawyer, you know, what I'm saying, um, my lawyer would break it down in layman terms, and this is what you get, this is how much they take, they got to get this back first, you know what I mean? Like, okay. So it was real, like black and white, cut and dry, like simple. And your life now, your new EP. Let's talk about it. Oh, I'm the DJ and the rapper. Um, yeah. Um, I figured that title was very, uh, very self-explanatory. Because a lot of people would see me like, wait, is it the same guy? Like, I, I see his name on a flyer. I, that's the guy to do the wrap-ups, right? Like, he is he a, can he DJ? Like, so I'm like, I'm going to just explain this shit to you in six words. I'm the DJ and a rapper. Same guy <laughs> doing a different thing. I love that. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, um. And it's all songs that I wrote or co-wrote. Um, it's, and it's an EP. It's only six songs, um, seven. And uh, what I like to do is I, I just like to uh, 
present music to people. And these are some of the songs that I had written and I had recorded and I was just playing in my sets. Like I would sandwich them in between like some other songs or whatever. And people enjoyed them. So I figured like I'm going to put it out. And um, I want to be one of those DJs that when people come see me DJ, I, I play my own shit too. Mm-hmm. In, in in addition to the other songs that, you know, that are known and they want to dance to. But I want to be able to play my songs as well. So I, I end every interview uh, with the same question. Mm-hmm. And the question that I ask folks, uh, no matter uh, who I've interviewed in the past, I've interviewed Michael Jackson's engineer, Bruce Wadeen. Oh, wow. Um, Prince's engineer, uh, Susan Rogers, A Purple Rain. Wow. And uh, I went into Bruce Wadeen's house, and there's nothing but Grammys plaques all over. The, I imagine this entire room. Right. And then some covered right. in Grammys. And I couldn't help but wonder what he sacrificed to get all those Grammys. Mm. If you're going to be great at something, you're going to be bad at something else. Yes. There's only 24 hours in a day. Yes. Um, and so it's just a matter of, you know, what you find important. Right. Um, and what about for you? For me, um, I would say family um, and, and past relationships. I, I wasn't able to connect um, with with people on a level that didn't understand what I wanted to do, and uh, but not not that's that's definitely not family. I've I've been there as much as I can for family, but um, sometimes in order to make sure that my family live the way that I had always envisioned them living, I I wasn't around to always enjoy it, um, and I'm glad that you know people in my they're not like convicts or criminals or you know and the shit didn't go totally left and it's like you were never there like you know what i mean right um i definitely don't have those issues but i i I could have and i thank god for that but it's you know i'm i'm not I, i i have when i set my sights to something i i just have blinders on you know what I'm saying, and it's not because I I don't I don't have the emotion or the, the 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 spirit to love or to to be. I just I I have to get this done, and a lot of people don't understand that. And I haven't had a job in like fucking what twenty years. So somebody who goes to work every day, not saying nothing is wrong with that. Um, well, it offers them a certain amount of security. Yeah, I don't have that. You know what I mean, and um. That's something that I sacrificed to to roll those dice to, or to shoot that shot to say that if I shoot, if one of these shots fall, then everybody's straight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm going to take that risk as opposed to going in here and just, and not saying I'm too proud or anything. I, if, I had, if I had to get a job, I would get a job tomorrow. Like I was just having a, a whole discussion about that. Um, I've never been so prideful that I'm like, oh, you know, I, I can't be seen working like what do you mean i motherfuckers can't see me working at the walmart like you could definitely see me working at walmart if that's what <laughs> if that's what i had to do to take care of mine then i would right. do it with a smile on my face every day but I, I just so happened that i started this musical journey when i was 13 14 years old and it just happened to pay off because yeah, i think just kids sometimes they they see lebron james mm-hmm. and they don't understand what lebron james has sacrificed to be LeBron James, yes. you, you see the, the 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 money, right? You see the fame and the admiration, right? But like, what about you can't get a burger at a restaurant right. without being like spoken to, 
Right. And it's about to pass down to his kids. Yes. You know what I mean? And I know, and I, I remember seeing something just no longer where he said he felt he wished that he hadn't given Bronny his name. Yeah. Because that's a that's an amazing fucking thing to have to live up to. Like, Bronny can't just go to the movies with friends and just kick it now. Yeah, your and name's not even Mike. It's right, LeBron. Right. It's right. It's, you don't have, your name's not Daniel. Yeah. You, you don't even have, like, it's two of y'all motherfuckers. <laughs> it's you and your dad. And your dad happens to be the bla- the best player of this generation. Like, oh, and, and I understand it. Because as a parent, you're like, I don't want that for you. Right. You know what I mean? Because I, I did all of this so you and your mom and your brother and your sister be straight. And we're going to be straight regardless. And yes, I would love for you to pick up a basketball and try to be like me. But I don't want you to have to go through all that shit. Right. And he's going to have to go through it. And hopefully he got somebody there. He has a person there that can tell him verbatim, I'm not going to let you do the same mistakes. I'm not like same with Shaquille and his son. Like, it's it's awesome to see them, but the fact that he was like, yo, I wish I hadn't given Bronny my name. Yeah. Like, I, I'm like, yeah. Because he could have just been Kevin James and just been fine. But now, whew, he a junior, bro. Well, Kevin James is famous too. Yeah, but <laughs> for something totally different. You know what I mean? You go, oh, and he's black. So it's not, it's not like that Kevin James is going to be your dad. <laughs> well skills thank you so much man for being here thank no you, thanks for having thank me thank you man. for what you represent to I, i'm a proud richmonder for what you represent to my city thank you man. how you represented us being thank the you. foundation right like thank, thank you, you so for much. having me man i appreciate it any any time appreciate Anytime. you man yes sir thank you all so much for tuning in to the 50th episode of the silent giants podcast and to our very special guest mad skills for stopping by the show Special thank you to the Silent Giants behind this episode of the Silent Giants podcast. This episode has been mixed by Mark Bird. Be sure to follow Mark on Instagram, and you can get to that by the link in the description. So, also be sure to check out my newest show, OPP, a show that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I have the link to that in the description as well. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off. Till next time. 